Amen. All righty. We'll jump right into our Bible lesson. And then after the lesson, we'll uh, close in a season of prayer and come back and pray for these requests. We'll be in Genesis, Genesis chapter number 5. We've been looking at the pre-flood world. And so we've been looking at this for a couple of weeks, looking at the, the condition of the world before the flood. As we said, uh, the Lord Jesus himself said that the end times would be as in the days of Noah. And so we look at this pre-flood world and we can learn a lot about the world that we live in today. And so we're looking at this pre-flood world. We looked at the, at the two lines. We looked, saw the, line, uh, the godly line of Seth, the ungodly line of Cain. Uh, we looked at how the seventh from Adam, God gave us a glimpse into those lines of, those ancestral lines. We saw uh, Lamech of um, Cain's line, and then we saw Enoch of the... Um, godly line and when we looked at that uh, we saw that you know the direction that they were going and what God was doing in their lives and so uh, as we've been looking at this study uh, we've seen a few things that I believe are worth noting uh, one thing that's worth noting is that there was a distinct difference between the godly and the ungodly and you say well pastor John that's pretty apparent yes but when we remember that this is teaching us as it was in the days of Noah, this is the pre-flood world, and there was a distinct difference between the godly and the ungodly. And as we move forward, especially as we go into chapter number 6, you'll see that that distinction began to go away. And we'll look at that, how that distinction began to go away as we got closer to the flood. And we look at the day in which we live, we can see how that distinction between the godly and the ungodly is beginning to get blended and it's not as distinct as it once was. Not only did we notice that, but we also noticed that the ungodly were dominating the worldly success. We looked at Lamech, we looked at Lamech's sons, and we saw how that these men, although they were ungodly men, were the men who were dominating worldly success. And that can be just a little bit confusing uh, because, you know, we look into the Word of God and the Word of God says that we have good success if we put our trust in the Lord and, and, and the Lord will bless us. So how come is it that the ungodly are the ones who were being successful? Well, what this helps us to understand is that a Christian success is not measured in material uh, success. A Christian success is measured in terms of eternity. So whenever we look at the godly line versus the ungodly, we find that the ungodly were the ones who were being successful in the world because that's where all their energy was going. Now, there's nothing wrong whatsoever with success. There's nothing wrong with a Christian being successful. And many times the Lord will bless uh, Christians that they might be successful. And that's a wonderful thing. But a Christian's focus should never be on worldly success. But we've seen here that Lamech and his line, they were focused on worldly success. Then we've seen also that this success that they were experiencing filled them with pride and arrogancy uh, that convinced them of their own self-sufficiency. They were convinced uh, that they were okay. And this pattern of the ungodly matched that which the Lord later described uh, of the last days, the Lord said, or the Word of God said, that in the last days they would get worse and worse. And we see here that that is exactly what took place. However, as we looked at the ungodly and the godly lines, we saw uh, two weeks ago that God always 
has a remnant. God always has a group of people uh, uh, that He has uh, that are continuing to be a witness for Him. And although the general moral attitude of the world at this point uh, was on a downward spiral, the godly line of Seth at this time was continuing to be a light in the world around them. Although uh, the general populace was going away from God, there was a godly line that was continuing to be a light and continuing to be a reminder of the authority of God in a world that was quickly heading for self-destruction. Here in the last half of chapter number 5, we have a record of four generations of godly men whose lives were a testimony of the sovereignty of God to a world who was all but denying the existence of God. We mentioned last week uh, that there were four prophets found here in the last part of chapter number 5. Four men, four generations of men who continued to proclaim the truth of God in a world that was rejecting God. We see that these four generations actually covered a space of time of a little over a thousand years. These four generations of men who proclaim the truth of God. I'm calling these men the prophets, the men who continued to stand for God, the men who were a witness in the face of a world that was steadily growing in their rejection of God. So this evening we're going to take a few minutes and look at these men. We're going to look at the message they were proclaiming as the world was deteriorating around them. And then we're going to see what we can learn as far as understanding our present day in light of this pre-flood world. The first of these prophets that we've already looked at a great deal, but we're going to start tonight again looking at Enoch. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. I pray, dear Lord, that you will bless this evening as we look at your word. I pray, dear Lord, as we... Uh, look in chapter number 5 and we look at these four men and Lord we look at what they stood for. We look at the testimony of their lives. We look at what they were proclaiming. Uh, Father I pray that you will help it uh, Lord to be instructional. I pray, pray dear Lord that we will receive learning from it. I pray dear Lord that it will help us to understand the day in which we live and Father help us to understand also how we can live for you in a world that is turning against you Father I pray. Thank you dear Lord for this opportunity to be in your house. I thank you for each person that is here. I pray, dear Lord, that you will be with the teen meeting downstairs and the youth meeting. I pray you be with uh, Pastor Kent and Aiden as they teach the children. And Lord, I pray that you will just bless in those services as well. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be here. And Lord, we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. In verse 18 down through verse number 24, we find the record of Enoch. And like I said, we've looked at Enoch a good bit already. Enoch was a man whose life demonstrated a relationship with God. Enoch was a man who his life demonstrated a relationship with God. So now because we've looked at Enoch a good bit already, I don't want to just uh, rehearse what we've already looked at concerning uh, Enoch, uh, but I do feel that there are some things that we can learn uh, about the testimony of his life and what his testimony said to the generation that he was living among. There are many things that we can learn, three things uh, that we can learn from Enoch's life about having a close personal relationship with God. There's three applications I see in this record of Enoch's relationship with God. The first thing I see is the description of his relationship. There is a description of the relationship that Enoch had with God that I believe will go a long way in helping us to understand the type of relationship that we ought to have 
with God. Twice uh, in this short record of Enoch's life, we are told that he walked with God. I believe there are seven verses here that summarize Enoch's life. And twice uh, in those seven verses, we are told uh, that Enoch walked with God. In the book of Hebrews, we are told that Enoch was a man who pleased God. And in the book of Jude, we see uh, uh, through Enoch's testimony that he was a man who both believed and feared God. This was who Enoch was. You know, whenever we look at Enoch and we look at this description of his relationship, we understand that a relationship with God is more than hoping if I do good enough, he'll let me into heaven. There are many, many people that think that this is what a relationship with God is. If I do enough good, I hope that one day he'll let me into heaven. Uh, there are others uh, that think that a relationship with God is a one-time affirmation that he exists. A one-time acknowledgement that, yes, I, I believe he is real. And they think that this is a relationship with God. And many times people will make that acknowledgement thinking that by making this acknowledgement, uh, uh, they have avoided uh, the future in hell, that they have avoided that. And so they acknowledge that God is real, but then they go on living their life the way they always did. Enoch gives us a picture of a relationship with God. Enoch's life was one that was characterized by an obvious closeness to God. You know, whenever you walk with someone and you go by someone else, they can't help but notice that there's somebody with you. Whenever you're walking with someone, that means that they are there beside you. Enoch's life gives us a picture of what a relationship with God should look like. You see, walking with someone is completely different than knowing about someone. Completely different. Uh, Aaron, can I borrow you, brother? You're, you're game for anything, so we'll get Aaron up here. So see, if Aaron and I are walking together, now we're men, so when we walk together, there's a good space between us and we're close enough for conversation. This is how men walk together, all right? But we're walking together, and I notice something. Look, Aaron, Aaron, look at that. You see that? And Aaron notices what I notice. Now you point something out to me. We're walking along. Uh, look, here's, here's Brother Marvin. We've noticed the same thing again, you see? And we go along, and as we walk, uh, our... Our actions, we interact with one another. What he sees, I see. What I see, he sees. Uh, what he notices, I notice. Uh, uh, we are walking together. However, if I could if I could pick somebody, I'll pick Robbie. Thank you, Aaron. You can sit down. I'll pick Robbie. Now, Robbie is here, and I know Robbie, and Robbie's over there. You can keep your seat, Robbie. Robbie's over there, and I know about Robbie. But as I go walking, and I go walking over here, and I see this bag right here. Can you see this bag, Robbie? No, I see this bag, and I'm interested in this bag, and I'm looking at this bag. Robbie does not benefit from anything that I'm seeing here because although I know about Robbie, Robbie and I are not together. Whenever you walk with someone, there is a closeness that does not exist from simply acknowledging someone. There is a complete difference. And Enoch's life gives us a picture of a relationship with God. A relationship with God is walking together. We are experiencing life together. The things that stir God's heart, I notice. The things that concern me, 
I am there with him when they concern me. Walking to God is walking together. When we walk with someone, we're affected by their presence. Their personality will rub off on me. I take note of their interest. I go the same direction. I am part of what they're pursuing if I'm walking with someone. But when I just have a knowledge of someone... I can go about my life doing whatever I want, however I want, wherever I want, and that knowledge does not affect my life whatsoever. Whenever we look at the fact that Enoch had a relationship with God, we see that the description of his relationship was that he walked with God. I believe that Enoch's testimony gives us a standard that we can use to determine Do I have a relationship with God? Oftentimes in preaching, I will preach and say there's more to Christianity than just salvation. You need to have a relationship with God. And many times when you make that statement, people will look at you like, what what do you mean? I don't understand what you mean when you talk about having a relationship with God. Well, when I look at Enoch, Enoch was a man whose life was affected by knowing God. Enoch's decisions, his direction... Everything about Enoch was affected by God. Many people will say that they know God, but their knowledge of God does not affect their lifestyle. Enoch's testimony gives us a standard that we can check ourselves by and see if we are truly walking with God. In addition to the description of his relationship, I also see the extent of his relationship. In verse number 22, the Bible says that Enoch walked with God three times. 100 years. Enoch was 65 years old. He had Methuselah. The Bible says that Enoch lived after he had Methuselah 300 years and Enoch walked with God. For 300 years, uh, Enoch walked with God. What is the extent of his relationship? It was a continual relationship. This wasn't a hit and miss kind of relationship. Boy, I'm telling you what, there are so many people who profess Christianity who have a hit and miss kind of relationship. Uh, It is on a little, off a little. Uh, We're enjoying it now. It doesn't suit our lifestyle now. It's a hit and miss off and on. Uh, That wasn't Enoch's relationship. No, uh, this was the life that Enoch lived every day of his life for 300 years. You say, well, Pastor John, I mean, that was Enoch. I'm not perfect like Enoch was. Well, let me explain. The fact that Enoch walked with God for 300 years doesn't in any way mean that Enoch was perfect. Not at all does it mean that Enoch was perfect. This doesn't mean that Enoch didn't have trouble and difficulty. This doesn't mean that he didn't have good days and bad days. No, it doesn't mean but that. But what it does mean is that Enoch was committed to his walk with God. Enoch was committed to following God. Enoch had set his sights on God. And Enoch said, this is the direction of my life. Every day, my life will be going toward God. He had good days uh, where he felt like he was on the mountaintop. He had bad days uh, where he felt like he couldn't go on. Uh, Enoch had days when he was victorious. Uh, Enoch had days when he was a failure. Enoch had days when he felt strong. Uh, Enoch had days when he felt weak. Uh, but regardless of how Enoch felt, uh, his sights uh, were always set uh, on following God. 
This was the direction, the course of his life. This is where he was going. He was committed to follow God. Whenever Enoch obeyed God, Enoch was blessed. Whenever Enoch disobeyed God, he went to him in repentance and sought his forgiveness because the guiding principle of Enoch's life was following God. And anyone can have the relationship that Enoch had. The difference is there are many people who will follow God for a little while and then they will decide that something else is of more interest or something else uh, is more important to them and they will turn away and go a different direction. This is something Enoch never did. We could think about the life of Job. Job also was someone who followed God. And Job came to the lowest point in his life, most possibly one of the lowest points that human beings have ever experienced. Job wasn't singing praises. Job wasn't jumping around clapping his hands. Job wasn't doing a whole lot of anything. But one thing he knew, he wasn't going to stop believing and following God. Anyone can have this relationship. They say good times and bad times, regardless of what comes into my life, the extent of my relationship with God is that I will always follow God. We could bring it right down to our own personal life, and you have experienced some of this. You have those days when, when boy, you get up, and everything is right, and you are feeling good. Uh, you read your Bible, you pray, you drink your coffee. I mean, everything is going perfect, and you are on the mountaintop. Then you have those days when you get out of bed and from the minute your feet hit the floor, one thing after another is going wrong. But at the end of the day, you can make a decision. I'm either going to thank God for seeing me through the day or I'm going to be angry at God for allowing these things to happen. Bad days may come, but at the end of the day, you are still following God. Still pursuing God, still staying after God. The extent of Enoch's relationship was that Enoch followed God. 300 years he faithfully followed God regardless of what was going on around him. He walked with God and the Bible says that this commitment was pleasing to God. But then in verse number 24 we see the reward of his relationship. In Genesis 5 verse number 24, And Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Those who walk with God, those who are faithful, those who follow God, those who, those who give, live their life following the Lord Jesus, they're going to be the ones that God is going to uh, bring past the trial. He's going to bring past the tribulation. Enoch was raptured out. Enoch was spared the judgment. Enoch spent eternity with God. Enoch walked with God and God took him. This taking was not a punishment. This was a blessing. God took Enoch because, God, because he walked with God. You walk with God and God will draw near to you. And so we see when we look at Enoch, Enoch's life was a testimony to the world that he was in of the fact that you can have a relationship with God and what this relationship with God looks like. And if we look at the fact that we're looking over the course of a thousand years here on these four men, Enoch being at the beginning of this, this was at a time when there were people, it seems to me, who were probably still in the balances. 
They were still making that decision. Do I follow God or do I, fo do I go after the world? Where am I at? And Enoch was a testimony of what a relationship with God could look like. But we know that the world continued to get worse and worse. And in verse 25 down through verse number 27, we find the record of Methuselah. This is a man whose life illustrated the long-suffering of God. Now we looked at the testimony of Methuselah's life pretty thoroughly two weeks ago, so I don't want to get into all that again. Uh, but in the context of the pre-flood prophets, we see that Methuselah's life illustrated the long-suffering of God in that while judgment was deserved, mercy was extended. While judgment was deserved, mercy was was extended. We looked a couple of weeks ago at how Methuselah's name means. Um, it means when he dies, judgment. And most think that uh, Enoch, this could have been a prophecy done by Enoch, prophesying the judgment coming on the world because of the sin. And so there was a prophecy given in the name of Methuselah. And we see that God did this all throughout the Old Testament. He would put prophecies in people's names. Uh, and we see that the fact that this prophecy was given at Methuselah's birth means that the world deserved judgment at his birth. When Methuselah was born, the world deserved judgment for the way that they were living. Judgment was deserved. When he dies, judgment is coming. But then we see that mercy was extended because Methuselah lived longer than any human has ever lived. 969 years Methuselah lived and every year that he lived was a testimony to the mercy of God. Over and over and over. Every time Methuselah had a birthday, the birthday said, once again, God has shown his mercy. Once again, God has withheld his hand of judgment over and over and over again. We see that Enoch showed you can have a relationship with God. Here's what it looks like. Men continued to go away from God, and instead of God sending judgment, he extended mercy over and over and over again. You know what? A lot of times when we're not living for God and we're not experiencing judgment, we think that either God doesn't care about how I'm living or we think that uh, God is okay with what I'm doing and we justify it because we've not encountered judgment. But we look at this testimony of Methuselah's life and we find out that if you're living contrary to the word of God and you're not experiencing judgment, what you are experiencing is the mercy of God. And at any time, he is completely just in saying your mercy is ended and withdrawing that mercy and bringing judgment. So we see in Enoch, uh, we see a prophecy of a relationship with God. In Methuselah, we see a prophecy of the long-suffering of God. But then in verse 28 down through verse number 31, we find the record of a third uh, generation in Lamech. Now this is not Lamech the son from the line of Cain. This is Lamech from the line of Seth. This is Lamech the father of Noah. This is Lamech from the godly line of Seth. And we find that Lamech also prophesied. Now Lamech rested in the promise of God. Lamech's prophecy was resting in the promise of God. In Genesis 5 and verse number 29, it says, And he called his name Noah, saying, 
This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. So we see that Lamech did the same thing that we see that Enoch did. Lamech gave a prophecy in, in his son, and he said, In him the same shall comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands. So we see that Lamech rested in the promise of God. Now this is interesting because Lamech spoke of the coming judgment as a comfort. Lamech said, this same shall comfort us. But what happened in Noah's life? The flood is what happened in Noah's life. Lamech was looking at the judgment, but Lamech looked at the judgment and he saw the judgment uh, as a comfort. You say, this is confusing. Wait a minute. How is this possible that Lamech saw this, the coming judgment, as a comfort? How did he see the coming judgment as a deliverance? Uh, because the flood was anything but a comfort uh, to those that lived here on earth. But if you will remember, uh, whenever Noah entered the ark, Noah was, he and his family were the only righteous people left uh, on the earth. Every single person left on the earth besides Noah and his family at the time of the flood had turned their back on God. These men that we are looking at had passed away and the only godly people left on the entire earth was Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives, eight people, no one else uh, believed in God, no one else put their trust in God. And when the judgment came, Noah and his family were spared the judgment. Noah and his family were spared. Now, whenever you look at the world, at the flood coming upon the world from a worldly perspective, this was judgment. This was harsh. This was hard. This destroyed life. This destroyed homes. This was a judgment that, of, that had never been experienced before or since uh, that God placed upon the earth. This was the most horrific judgment. And when you look at it from a worldly standpoint, it was a terrible, terrible time upon the face of the earth. But when you look at it from Lamech's viewpoint, Lamech's been living on the earth for hundreds of years. You know what it's like when you're trying to live like a Christian and you go out into the world and you see the ungodliness and you see the sin. You know what it's like when, as we've been talking about the things going on in our school systems and we're trying to decide what do we do because of the ungodliness that's taking place in our school systems. You know what it's like to try to be a Christian in a world that rejects God. And you know what? Oftentimes Christians will make a statement, I can't wait till the day. I can't wait till the day when the when sin has been taken away. I can't wait till the day when the tempter no longer is throwing things in front of me. I can't wait until the day when I have victory over this flesh. It is a victorious day that we are looking forward to. And you look at Lamech living in this ungodly world that was on a train headed into wickedness as fast as it could go. And Lamech said, it's tiresome living in this world. It wears me out trying to be godly in a world that is going away from God as fast as it can. He said, but Noah, in your day, there's going to be comfort for God's people. Noah, in your day, there's going to be deliverance for God's people. Noah, in your day, God is going to take care of the sin problem. You see, whenever we look at Lamech, we see that he found comfort in God's promise because... What is judgment for the sinner 
is deliverance for the saint. What is judgment for the sinner is deliverance for the saint. There is coming a day when the Lord is going to return and He is going to bring judgment upon the ungodliness of this world. But when He does, He's taking His people out. And the day of judgment for this world will be a day of deliverance for the saint. And this is what Lamech preached. He said there's judgment coming and that judgment will bring comfort to God's people. Judgment for the sinner but deliverance for the saint. Lamech was saying that the world had become an awful place to live, but God was going to hit the reset button. God was going to reboot. As we looked last week, we seen how that the, how that the flood uh, illustrates so many things that we see in the last times, and we see all this coming to pass. We see Lamech prophesied that that which is a time of destruction from man's viewpoint, is restoration in God's eyes. That which man sees as destruction is restoration in God's eyes. That's, many, that's why many times when judgment comes upon the earth, we have trouble understanding it. We look in the Bible, for example, and we'll look at times whenever Israel was sinning against God and God would send in a plague or He would send in serpents or He would send in something that would kill thousands of the Israelites. And we're like, wait a minute, why, why would God do that? Well, from man's viewpoint, uh, it was destruction. But from God's viewpoint, it was restoration. And there are things that we experience even today. And we're like, why would God allow that to happen? Because from our humanistic reasoning, it is only harmful. But from God's viewpoint, He is bringing restoration. That is what His goal is. So Lamech said, we will find comfort in my son Noah. We'll find comfort from this ungodly world. We'll find deliverance from this ungodly world because what's destruction in man's eyes is many times restoration in God's eyes. And then the last and final prophet we see in this passage is Noah. Of course, we'll look at Noah much more in depth as we go on through the book of Genesis, but tonight I want us to look at Noah. Noah warned of the judgment of God. Noah was the last of the line of prophets. We see that Enoch said you can have a relationship with God. We see that Methuselah said God is long-suffering. He is being patient with you. Lamech said there's coming a day when God's going to deliver us from this ungodly world. And then Noah stood up and Noah preached, judgment's here. Judgment day is here. Noah preached of the judgment of God. In Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse number 7, speaking of Noah, the Bible says, By faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is by faith. In 2 Peter 2.5 it says, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. We, we, we see here that Noah was a man who believed God. Noah was a man who preached righteousness. Now, like I said, we'll be looking at Noah in a lot more detail in the coming weeks, but for tonight I want us to note, note three things about Noah's message, three things that Noah preached. First, when Noah preached, he pointed out man's position. We know that Noah preached for 
120 years as he was building the ark, he preached the judgment of God is coming. And in preaching that the judgment of God is coming, Noah was pointing out to man their position. You are away from God. You are in need of the hand of God. He pointed out man's position. Second, Noah proclaimed sin's penalty. Noah let it be known that the judgment of God was coming because of the sin of man. He let them know that sin had a penalty. And then lastly, we see that in Noah's message, he presented God's provision. He presented the provision of God. This is exactly what we need to be preaching in our day. We need to be preaching that mankind has gone away from God, that there is a penalty for their sin, but that God has made a way of salvation. Noah had the provision of God in the ark. He said, here is what God has provided. Now we know that Noah at that time, he and his family were the only righteous people left on the earth. And for 120 years he preached, and he and his family the only people that got on the ark. But the ark was available for whoever wanted to board the ark. The problem was not that God wasn't letting them on the ark. The problem was that they were steeped in their rejection of God. For 120 years, he preached of God's provision. When we think about the ark, I I think that there's a great example here of active faith. You see, the ark is only beneficial if you will believe and put your faith in the ark. Noah was preaching the only way to miss the judgment of God is get on the ark. Now, they had never seen an ark. There was a lot of things they didn't understand about an ark. There was a lot of doubts they had about the ark. There was a lot of questions they had about the ark. But the only way they could miss the judgment was to physically walk up the ramp and sit down on the bench inside the ark. They had to put their faith in action. They had to get in the ark. I believe this is a clear example of the difference between an acknowledgement of the existence of God and truly believing in God. We know that the Word of God says that whosoever shall believe on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. And I really think that is all that it takes. You believe, you are born again. But because the Bible says it so simply, there have been those uh, who have taken that word belief and changed it into just an acknowledgement. As long as you acknowledge God. You could acknowledge the ark all you wanted. Matter of fact, you couldn't really deny it. It was pretty obvious. It was pretty easy to see. You couldn't get around it. It's just a little side note of mine. I'll just throw this out here. It's a sarcastic side of me, and I have to fight with this all the time. But whenever somebody says to me something like, I don't believe in Christmas trees, I'll be like, well, run down to Walmart, and I'll show you one. They really do exist. I mean, just a little. I love it when people saw all this stuff they don't believe in. It's pretty obvious. Here it is. Sorry. That's just sarcastic side of me. But so you say, did they believe in the ark? Yeah, they believed in the ark. It was there. It was easy to see. There was no denying the ark. They completely believed in the ark. But the problem is they didn't believe that the ark could save them. They didn't believe that the ark would keep them safe from the flood. They didn't believe that the ark would preserve them from destruction. They didn't believe that they were in any danger. So although they believed in the ark, 
They didn't have a belief that would save them. And whenever we say that you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not saying that you need to acknowledge who He is. We're not saying that you need to agree that yes, He came and died. No, we're saying you need to put your faith in Him. You need to believe that He is able to deliver you from the coming judgment. You need to believe that He is able to get you past your penalty of sin. You have got to put your faith and trust in Him. We see here the difference between what some people would refer to as a head knowledge versus a heart knowledge. A head knowledge... Many people would explain it this way. A head knowledge is is affirming or accepting that God did live and that God did die. A heart knowledge would be, I'm trusting that He can take care of me. I am putting my full faith and trust in Him. And now if we could tie this back to Enoch walking with God. Enoch believed God. Matter of fact, when we look at all four of these men, there was one characteristic that all four of them had. They, each and every one of them, believed God. But when we look at Enoch, Enoch believed God. He believed in who God was. He believed in the principles of God. He believed in the character of God. And Enoch's belief in God resulted in Enoch's walk with God. Whenever I see someone who says they believe in God, but there's no walk with God. I wonder, do they truly believe that He can deliver them? Because if I would have truly believed in the ark, I'd have been sitting on the ark. There's many people who say they believe in God whose life says we're not putting our trust in Him. Enoch walked with God because he believed God. Each of these men had the common character trait that they were men who believed God. Hebrews eleven six. there, I believe I put it there on your worksheet. But without faith, that's believing in God, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. We must believe, and that belief will result in a life of walking with God because we believe Him. A changing, a life-changing belief. So there we have the prophets that led up to the flood. And you know what? As it were in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. And as we get closer and closer and closer to Christ's return, we will see that there will continue to be men of God who proclaim the truth of God. But there will be fewer and fewer and fewer people who will put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As it were in the days of Noah. Next week, we're going to be looking in chapter number 6. And as I said, we've had a lot of questions about chapter number 6 and I'm excited to get into chapter number 6 and explain what all's going on there in the beginning of chapter number 6. But you have to come back next week to hear that.